folks got back uh, this morning about 8.45. Some of them did. And then Kathy and Charlie missed the, the flight. They had a pushback late out of Alaska. 11, I think it was 11.30 our time. They're three hours behind us, so they left at 8, supposed to leave at 8.30. 11.30 last night our time. They had a red-eye flight where they flew all night long. So they didn't get any sleep. And the plane pushed back late. They flew to Atlanta. And Paula told me they literally ran through the airport. And so, uh, you know, Kathy's had some physical problems, had surgeries and so forth. So her and Charlie got the second flight. So they're in. And I sent them a, a note last night. Daniel had told them, I think last week, we'll be back in time for church. And I said, uh, you stay home. I just didn't want to hear snoring echoing through the church this morning, disturbing the, the service. And uh, so they're probably sleeping sound. Maybe they're watching, I don't know, but that's that's fine. Sure, I'm glad you're here. It's good to have the Hortons with us. Thanks for coming. It's really nice. We love your daughter. We'll get to see uh, Bethany and TJ very much, but they're special. I want you to take your Bible, if you would, and turn to an Old Testament passage and then a New Testament passage in the book of Proverbs, chapter 13. And then after you locate that, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Proverbs 13, and then Ephesians chapter 1. It's also great to have Evangeline back in church with us today. Mom and Dad had to bring her in, but uh, we sure did pray for that little girl. This past week I read a, an amazing story. I don't know if amazing is the right word, but a perfect story to uh, open the message with. And I want to tell you that story, then we'll get into the message. It was about uh, three people. It's about a sports writer. It's about Mike Tyson. And the man that promoted Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson is a boxer. Doesn't box anymore. In 1997, in the summer, it was one of the biggest boxing events in history when he boxed uh, Evander Holyfield, who's from Atlanta. Years ago, we drove by his, his mansion. Evander Holyfield had the largest house in the state of Georgia. It's enormous. In fact, I looked at it. Uh, just the, uh, uh, I think yesterday or Friday on the internet and found out that uh, he had sold it to a rapper. But uh, he lived not far from uh, Mr. Chick-fil-A. And so a friend of ours, we were staying with them for one weekend and uh, they drove us by. But these three people, a sports writer, Mike Tyson and his promoter, and so the sports writer was sharing this story about how that he was in the room. It was a temporary office the night before the match in Las Vegas. And with his own eyes, there were just those three people in the office, he saw the promoter for the match pull a check out of his pocket and, and by hand wrote a check to Mike Tyson for $30 million dollars. And in the story, the article, he wrote how that he watched him write all of the zeros. That's how he phrased it. He thought, I watched him 
put all of those zeros in. And then he gave it to Mike Tyson the night before the match. He hadn't even uh, boxed. And so then they went down to the car, and it was on the back side of the hotel, back where the loading dock was to provide security because Tyson was a celebrity and they didn't want people getting near him. And back behind his car, they had these, uh, if you ever go to a bank or something like that where they have queue lines and they have these little posts, they have ropes, or sometimes they'll have them inserted where they pull them out. Well, uh, they pull these little uh, strips of, of uh, black things, I don't know what they call it, out. My vocabulary fails me to express it. But they'd had those types of things. I think they called them stanchions. And they had one of those, a couple of those behind Mike Tyson's car. His car was there. They were going to ride with him. And he had a, a Lamborghini. It was brand new. Now, I don't know much about cars. I'm just reading from the story, okay? But Tyson's brand new Lamborghini that was worth $350,000. This is 1997, so almost a quarter of a century ago. And when they all got in the car, nobody saw, including Tyson, the little uh, cue line thing back there, the, the protector, the post that was supposed to not really keep people out, but anybody that walked by to say, hey, you can't come back here. And there was a security guy back there, too. So Tyson started his Lamborghini, put it in reverse, began to back up. And they heard something lightly tap the car. And what had happened, he backed into one of those posts and knocked it over. Well, that's happened to my kids before. You know, when they were little, they get rambunctious. You know, those things aren't very heavy. And he got out of the car and he went back and he looked at it. And the writer explained that he just exploded. He went ballistic. And the sports writer said, as I looked at it, he said, it was very insignificant damage. It was just some scratches, if anything. He said it couldn't have been $1,000 damage. And uh, he, he began to scream and say, get this car away from me. He looked at the security guard. He said, take this car. It's bad luck. And he took the keys, he balled them up, and he hurled them uh, as fast as he could and, and hit the security guard in the chest with the keys through them. He said, get this car away from me. And he said, I will, Mr. Tyson. I'll take it to the valet, and they'll have it there for you. He said, you didn't hear me. This car is bad luck. Get this car away from me. And the promoter stepped in between them, and he said, sir... As he addressed the security guard, he said, what he's saying is he doesn't want this car. He said, he's giving this car to you. This is your car. Enjoy the car. Mike Tyson gave away a $350,000 car because of his perception of bad luck. Now, this is not a story about generosity. Stay with this story. Now, when I was reading this, it was actually in a book. I literally put the book down, and I thought, now, now this, this is just unbelievable. I wouldn't do that with one of my wrecks. And this guy just got $30 million, and he has a brand-new car that's worth almost half a million dollars. 
and he's giving it away because he thinks it's bad luck or whatever. The very next paragraph, here's, here's what happens. So they get, they get a ride somewhere over to a restaurant. And so Tyson leaves them, so it's the promoter, and it is the sports writer, and they're talking. And then sometime during the meal, someone comes over to get the promoter, and they say, we need your help. Uh, Mike Tyson is causing a scene across the way. And um, in Vegas, apparently, there's the way it's set up. You have restaurants and then these expensive stores. And it was a store, and I looked this up too, called Versace, which is a high-end, very high-end Italian with garments and all types of stuff. I looked at some of the prices to, to kind of validate this. And they said, he's causing trouble in the store. You need to get over there quickly. So the promoter left the sports writer there eating his meal by himself. And he came back and he brought Tyson with him. He calmed him down. And he had all these goods with him in these bags. And the sports writer said this in the article in that next paragraph, a couple of paragraphs. He said, all I remember that was in the bag is that there were purple shoes and there were two scarves. There was an orange one and there was a um, green one and there were some other things. And he had spent just in less than an hour, maybe 30 minutes in that store, $800,000. Now he said from the time, and he told the promoter, he said, go ahead and take care of the bill. Just go ahead and pay them. And the promoter said, give me the check I just gave you, which was for $30 million. So Tyson gave him the check. And he said, I will deduct that from your check, and I will give you a new check tomorrow. And here's what the sports writer, and here's the purpose of me telling you this story. He said, as I sat there, I began to think about this, that in 90 minutes, he said in 90 minutes, Mike Tyson had spent basically... million dollars and and i thought about that that he he hadn't even really earned the money yet i don't know how they do those things but he had just made 30 and he'd already spent over 1 million of it and none of it was an investment it was really a loss in that sense Now, all of us hear stories like that, Uh, maybe not about that extreme, but we hear stories about people that maybe have things or, and uh, you say, well, boy, it it would be nice to do that. You know, they spend with these, there's, there's no restraint, but sometimes, listen carefully, you're blinded by the consequences. I want you to listen to this statement. You are blinded by the fact that what you cannot see that you can have is of greater value and there's more of it. Now, I want to say that again because I don't want you to miss that. All you see is what you can have. But what you cannot see is of more value and there's more of it. And Satan wants you to get disgruntled over what you don't have. I I don't mean just material things. And we'll show you that in just a moment. 
But he wants you to get unfocused and disgruntled over what you don't have, especially things that you cannot see, which is of infinity more value. And there's a whole lot more of it. Someone said this one time, listen to this. Many have climbed to the top of the ladder only to realize that it's leaning against the wrong wall. That's a simple, but it's a very profound statement. And I, I want to say this, that once you get to the top of the ladder and you realize, hey, I spent a lot of time getting up here. It's, it's on the wrong side of the wall. That is a bitter pill to swallow. Because in most cases, you spend a whole lot of time getting up there. And a whole lot of effort. And you haven't thought about, what, where is this ladder taking me? Where is this pathway taking me? Where am I going? Now, I think it was last week when I was talking to you about the world and how that Satan manipulates the world. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, almost exclusively, not every time, but almost every time, the usage of the world is not about people. And John 3.16 it is, For God so loved the world, that's about people, that He gave His only begotten Son. But it is about a system, it's about a way of thinking, it's a philosophy without God. And we are enmeshed in that way of thinking, and Satan manipulates that in our mind. And I made this statement, I want to make it again today because it's so crucial, that one of the most important things that you can do as a Christian is to gain a, an understanding of a biblical definition of success. And then once you embrace that definition and you practice that, that you, that you model it and you pass that on to your children and you teach that to them. Uh, many people have embraced a definition that the world has, which comes from Satan. And I don't have time to rehearse everything I gave you last week. Now, here, here's a good definition of success. Success is this. Success is finding the will of God as soon as possible and then doing it. That's what success is. Now, let me, let me break apart a couple of things about that. You cannot separate success from the will of God. No person is ultimately successful that is out of the will of God. Uh, let me give you a, a couple of other synonyms for success. Success is obedience. Success is faithfulness. Success is finding the will of God as early in life as possible and then doing it. That's what success is. Because the world is going to teach your, your young people, and it is teaching your young people, and some of you have embraced this, and we live this way, that success is, is gaining fame, it's gaining prestige, it's gaining influence. You know, there's books today that are taught about how to pastor and how to have a church, and they have, they have worldly philosophies on how to how to pastor churches and what the purpose of the church is. And, uh, you know, the whole purpose is to, to influence people, not for Christ and not for the kingdom. And it's not about dying to self. 
And it's not about humility. It's not about brokenness. It's not about service. It's about recognition. You know, from the world's definition, listen carefully. From the world's definition, Jesus was a failure. Now, I didn't say that. But if you take the world's metrics, Jesus' ministry was a failure. During his ministry. If you take the world's definition of success, John the Baptist was a failure. And yet Jesus said of John the Baptist, he is the greatest man that was born of women. The Son of God said that. But from the world's metrics, these ministries were were failures. So, So do not, you must, you must accept this definition that what is God's will for your life? And it's different for, for different people. Some of you will be recognized. That's a good thing. If it's God's will for your life. But the Bible says in Psalm 75 that, that God is the one that promotes people. God is the one that does that. In the book of Jeremiah, I think it's Jeremiah chapter 42. The Bible says, seek not to be great. Don't seek a name for yourself. The Bible is so plain about these things. The Bible says, don't seek to be first. You know, our ways go cross-grain, and really not even cross-grain against the world. They're, They're diametrically opposed. And all of these philosophies are in us. They're in me. And the way we, we get them out is we, we get them in our minds so that they can filter through the biblical presuppositions that are in our mind. And then we can repent, which means to change my mind, which leads to change of action. And it changes my behaviors. Now, I've been talking to you in, in a couple of messages, and then I'm going to give you a couple more on this on how to be rich. But this message is is on how to measure wealth. Because we we need to have a standard, a biblical standard on how do you measure wealth. Rather than what the world says. Because if you measure wealth in only possessions and finances and material goods, then you miss, listen, you miss the best part of life. Now, every person can measure true wealth by applying four truths. Number one, we measure true wealth by God's standards. And I spoke on this already based on Proverbs 13, 7. This is a wonderful verse to memorize. And here's God's standard. There is, here's a person that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. Now, you don't want to be this guy. You don't want to be this woman. Teenager, you don't want to be this person. You get to the end of your life and realize that, well, I made myself rich, but I don't have anything. But there's another person that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. You see, there's more than one way to measure wealth. And you want to measure that by God's standards. I preached a whole message on that. I don't want to do that. That's not my message today. Number two, we measure true wealth by contentment. And contentment is the secret to joy. It's the secret to peace. It's the secret to happiness. 
You see, happiness isn't having what you want. It's wanting what you have. Because you always want stuff, but you'll never be happy. Happiness isn't having what you want. Because your wanter is always bigger than your haver. But it's wanting what you have. I, I got what I want. I love my wife. I love my kids. I like what I have. I like my church. I like my staff. I love you. I like my life. That doesn't mean that there aren't problems. But there's a contentment. Look at this quote. This is simple, but it's so simple. And it's true. A discontented man is never rich. Never. Never. A discontented man is never rich. But a contented man is always rich. Isn't that true? A content, you see, the richest man in the world is the one that has enough. Because he doesn't need anything else. Now, I want to be careful here because I don't think this is necessarily a sin. But it's kind of symptomatic of the problem. You know, that every time the new phone comes out, i got to get the new phone. It's got new features on it. Every time the new computer comes out, i got to get the new computer. Every time the new fill-in-the-blank comes out, the new television, every time the new whatever. And um, promoters and advertising, they know how to do this to, to make you discontent. Hey, everybody's doing it. Well, everybody's not doing it. I used to remember I'd tell my kids, well, I'm not doing it. You know, and I know what they're thinking. Yeah, but Dad, you're a dud. You know, you don't count. They didn't say that. I remember my dad. My daddy never changed. He he'd go around. He wore navy blue pants. He wore a powder blue shirt, and he had about three pins in his pocket, and he only used one. He lived that way all of his life. He, I never saw him one time in blue jeans. I love blue jeans. He never wore them one time. He never wore tennis shoes one time. He had his stroke. I, I, I told Paul, I said, I'm, I'm buying Dad some tennis shoes. And he's going to walk. because i, I got to help him. He's got this diabetes, and, and I'm going to help him. So I went down there. And he, he wore these kind of, a, they weren't sweatpants, but they were, I don't know what you call them. But there's something mom got him. I'm so proud of him for that. So I went down there, had my speech all prepared, and he, he lost his speech. Some of you remember this. Isn't that dad? <clears throat> I got you these these walking shoes. That's what I called them. I got you these walking shoes. I mean, Paula's gonna be walking with you. I walk with you a lot. I'm gonna come down here, Paula's gonna walk with you. It's gonna be a lot of fun. You gonna do that? Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> he never put those things on. My dad was so simple. Now, you don't have to be like that. I'm not saying that's, that's a sin not to, uh, to, to never change. I don't mean that. But, but the, here's my point. is He was just so content. He didn't want anything. He didn't mind other people having stuff. He was just, he was just so, he was a happy man. 
There's a verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 I showed you, but look at it again. It's so powerful. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. This is the word of God. This is the wisest man in the world at the time. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase. And then he concludes, this is vanity. This is emptiness. This is nothing. This is not the way to live. Now I'm going to misquote it. Look at it. It's up on the screen, I think. Yeah, I'm going to misquote it. Here's what it doesn't say. He that hath silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that hath abundance. It doesn't say that. So he that loves silver, he that loves abundance. You see, look up here and listen. You don't have to have money to be covetous. You just have to love it. But here's what happens is sometimes when I don't have contentment or I have possessions without contentment, it just increases my, my appetite for more. I believe it was J. Paul Getty. I may be wrong. But I believe it was J. Paul Getty at the turn of the century who was one of the richest men in the world at the time. And someone asked him, they said, uh, Mr. Getty, how much money uh, is enough? How much money is enough? You know what he said? One more dollar. Just one more dollar. The whole, the whole idea was that dollar and another dollar. It was said that, was it W.C. Fields? Was that the entertainer? They said his last words were, what were the receipts today? The, the, the Bible says this is vanity. This is vanity. Number three, we measure true wealth by spiritual blessings. By spiritual blessings. And this is what I want to talk to you about today. And here's what I want to do. I want you to listen carefully, Minnie. I, I want to put handles on, on that two letter or that two word expression, spiritual blessings. I was talking to my son John this week, and I said, you know, we use, I was telling him about our mission statement at church. I said, our mission statement is we honor God by seeing lives change. And I said, I purposely put honor God rather than glorify God. I said, the reason I put glorify God or honor God, because I know what glorify God, I can explain it. But I, it's a mission statement and you can't explain things. I said, John, almost every time when I preach and I say, I will explain what it means to glorify God. Because people that grew up in church use the phrase, but they don't know what it means. The glory of God is the sum total of God's attributes. It's who God is. When you glorify God, you do not detract from who God is. You, you exalt Him. You give a high opinion of who He is. And so forth. There's more to it than that. You give weight to who He is. But here's what happens. When you grow up in church, and, and we, we use these words sometimes, they're good words, they're biblical words, but we, we assign our own definition to it. That's very dangerous. And as I was sharing with John, I said, I think most people understand honor, which is very similar, more than they do glory. We honor God. We edify God. We lift Him up. We honor God this way. 
And so it's not a wrestling match. But here's the thing. Here's why I say that. When I talk about spiritual blessings, I almost change that expression because I thought that's going to put people to sleep immediately when they hear this. Oh, I'm not interested in that. It's, it's powerful. And listen, your spiritual blessings are unseen, but they make you rich. And if all you're concerned about is clothes and cars and houses and stuff... There's plenty of that. But what is of higher value are the things that are unseen because there's more of it and it's worth more. And let me give you some verses and we're looking at Ephesians in a moment. But look at this verse. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9 is a clear expression of the gospel. Look at this. It speaks of our Lord and Savior Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich when he was in heaven... Yet for your sakes he became poor when he became a man. That ye through his poverty, because of what he did for us. Now look at this. That ye through his poverty might be rich. Now I want to ask you a question. What does it mean when it says might be rich? Might be wealthy. I actually heard somebody one time, a, a health, wealth, prosperity guy. That those are preachers that believe it's God's will that every Christian be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And he said, there, there's proof. That's not what that means. He's not talking about material blessings. He's talking about spiritual blessings. Jesus became poor so that you could become spiritually rich. Now listen carefully, if you are a Christian, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior and you know Him personally, you are wealthy. And here's what the devil does, he wants to blind you from your wealth. Some of you have been saved for 20 years and, and you, you are as wealthy as a king through Christ, but you don't, you don't understand your wealth. And because of that, you're pursuing after lesser things, and you're discontent. Now, we're going to go through hurriedly through this, but I hope you'll allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to you and help you and to comfort you and to teach you some things. If you have your Bible open, you may want to mark some things that may help you. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us. Notice that. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You see, I could not, I could not only go to heaven when I was lost. By the way, in heavenly places is used, several, I think, five or six times in the book of Ephesians. But now that I'm a Christian, I can not only go to heaven... And live with Christ forever on earth. All of my blessings are, are, are sourced in heaven because I'm in Christ. I'm not in the world. I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. I live here temporarily. I'm an alien. I'm a stranger. I'm a pilgrim. And the Bible says that he has blessed me with all spiritual blessings. Here's what this means. I am sufficient in Christ. I have everything that I need. Now, there are some people that believe once you get saved, that's the open door. You go through Christ, but then you need more blessings. 
you need a second blessing. And that means you need to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. You need to speak in an unknown tongue. And you need another blessing. And someone may ask you, as someone has asked me, have you had the second blessing? And I can smile and, and say, you know what? I've had the second blessing and the third blessing and the tenth blessing and the fiftieth blessing because he has blessed me with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I'm not being a smart aleck. Listen, I have every when I got saved, the moment I got saved, I have everything that I need in Christ Jesus. Everything. And I'm wealthy in spiritual blessings. I have all the equipment that I need. On February the 18th, 1968, when I came to Jesus as a nine-year-old boy, I got everything that I need. Everything. And the moment that you were born again, He gave you everything that you need. Now I want to show you, we're going to go back to Ephesians in a moment, but I want to show you some contrasts and ironies in how this works. Paul was kind of showing as an apostle how this works, but it works for you too. Because people look at us as oddballs sometimes. But look at this in 2 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Look at this. He's speaking of himself, but this is us. As unknown and yet well-known. Nobody knows you down here, but you're well-known in heaven. As dying... And behold, we live as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Now look at this. As poor yet making many rich. You see that? You're not only wealthy from the world's perspective, you're poor, but you're helping other people become rich when you win them to Christ and disciple them. And help them to discover what they have in Christ. And notice this last line. As having nothing, yet possessing all. You see, listen. Th- these are your spiritual blessings. And this is true. Listen, this is true whether you feel it or not. Preacher, I, 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 but I, f- I feel insignificant. But you're not. You're celebrated in heaven. You're a child of God. But I, I just, I'm just simple. Well, you may be simple, but, but God made you a child of the king. But I'm, you may feel these ways and the devil will whisper in your ear. But there's another reality. There's another world. And, and God has designed that you share his wealth. And this is not money. There's another wealth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, again with the matter of spiritual blessings, Paul wrote the church at Corinth, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything, in everything, ye are enriched by Him. You're made wealthy by Him. You're made wealthy by Christ. In all utterance, that is, by the preachers, by the preaching that you've had, and in all knowledge, by your apprehension, by your understanding of that preaching. Man, you read the preachers that they had there by Paul and Apollos. You you guys have been blessed. He said, you've been made wealthy by that. And he said, the knowledge that you, you, you are wealthy. And this is what he's telling you. You have been made, in, you have these spiritual Blessings. 
Let's not complain. Let's look at some more of these spiritual blessings in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Some very specific ways they're expressed. In whom, the personal pronoun there is Jesus. In Jesus, we have redemption. This is, this is how you're wealthy. He has purchased you from the slave market of sin through His blood. Here's a spiritual blessing. The forgiveness of sin. My record is clean. My conscience is clean. The devil has no claim on me. I have security. When I die, I know where I'm going. I, I can look at the body of my mom and dad uh, when they're resting in their coffin. And though I grieve their deaths and I miss them, I know where they are because their sins are forgiven. Look at the rest of the verse. All of this redemption Forgiveness is through the blood of Jesus according, look at this, according to the riches, to the wealth of His grace. My Father is wealthy in grace. He's rich in grace. You know, whenever, whenever I have a need, my close friends have heard me say this, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And they know what I'm talking about. The big need. I say, well, I need to go tell my father about it. That's my heavenly father. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more should your father in heaven give good things to them which ask him? He's rich in grace. Are you here this morning and your conscience is cluttered with sin and violating the holiness of God and you've hurt other people? He can redeem you and cleanse you and He can forgive you according to the riches of His grace through the blood of Christ. And then Paul prays for them. We don't have time to look at the whole prayer, but look at Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 18. He's praying for the eyes of their understanding being enlightened or opened that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what is the riches of the glory of the inheritance and the saints, the riches of His glory, of His inheritance in the saints. Now, what does that mean? Inheritance is a possession that's received by another person. Okay? I have a possession, an inheritance that belonged to someone else, but they pass it down to me. But this is a, an inheritance in the saints. Here's what it is. is we are Christ's inheritance. I am his inheritance. He has inherited me. Listen carefully. He put his favor on me. He loves me. I'm his son. If you're here and you're, you're saved, you are his daughter. You are his inheritance. And the Bible says here in Ephesians 1.18, that's based on the riches of his glory. He has so much more to give you. But you are wealthy. You may, you may be rejected at work. You may be rejected at school. You have been rejected by your family. But the Bible says that as a Christian, that you are His inheritance, that He loves you. You are accepted in the Beloved. His name is the Beloved. He has accepted you. He has not just forgiven you of your sins in a transactional sense and said, okay, you're forgiven. The slate is clean and walked off. No, he has inherited you. He embraces you. 
He cares for you. You are wealthy in this sense. You have a God that wants to know you. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7. That in the ages to come, future, God might show the exceeding riches, not just riches, but the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness through us, through Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament, the word for grace is loving kindness. And many times it's in the plural, loving kindnesses. Most of the time it is loving kindnesses, is plural. It is the steadfast, faithful, undeserved love of God. You see, God, if, if, if you are His child, listen, he, he will always love you. When you're disobedient, He will always love you. If you've sinned, He will always love you. He will never cast you out. And the Bible says in heaven that He will show the exceeding riches of His grace, not just because He has forgiven you and shown what you could have been, but show His grace in your life and how that His grace has sustained you and helped you. I remember we lost our, our first child. I was in the hospital with pneumonia the night before we'd gotten home from a winter retreat. And uh, I was so sick, and Paula drove me up there. And, and uh, they sent me home with some injections and some pills. And then uh, barely 24 hours later, in the middle of the night, she began to miscarry. And, and to be very truthful with you, neither of us knew what was happening. I mean, I, I, I was so, so simple. I, I didn't know miscarriages could happen. I didn't understand. And then once we were informed and we understood that we're losing the baby, it was doubly devastating when you didn't even know that that was a possibility. At about 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the morning, as I went into the waiting room as they prepared for the surgery for my wife, I went and I called home in Alabama and woke my parents up and shared my mom and dad through tears. And then I called a friend locally in the Washington, D.C. area and told him just to pray for me. On an old pay phone, there were no cell phones in 1982. And I just said in that room, there was not a single person in the room. There was no cell phone to scroll through. And I just sat in there with a broken heart. But I'm going to tell you, listen, the presence of God, the presence of God met me in those moments almost 40 years ago. And it was just so sweet and so real. The exceeding riches of His grace. I think we read Ephesians 2, 7 and that He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and the kindness of us when we talk about being redeemed from sin and that's true the transformative grace but there's a sustaining grace and a helping grace Ephesians 3 8 when I was called to preach I wrote the date and I wrote this verse by it in one of my Bibles 
Ephesians 3, 8. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable means that which is unable to be comprehended. He's so wealthy, you can't comprehend it. He's so deep, he's so broad, you can't figure him out. He has so much. His storehouse is so big, we will never be able to figure. He's God. And then Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16, there's another prayer Paul prays for them. And he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. There's that expression again. The riches of his glory. What's in this? these riches of his glory? To be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. You know what part of the glory of God is? Part of those riches where he not only saves me from sin, but he saves me from myself. And he enables me to live a righteous life. And he gives me... He strengthens me on the inner man by his might, not by my might, to do what I'm supposed to do and be what I'm supposed to be. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, But my God shall supply all your need according, not out of, but according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Are you here with the need? Don't complain about it. Don't scheme. doesn't mean God forbids planning, but at some point you have to lay the need before God. I talked to someone I love recently, and I said, Look, at some point you just have to give this to God. According to His riches and glory, and God will show Himself strong. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, Or despisest thou the riches, notice this list, He's rich in goodness. He's rich in forbearance and restraint. And we deserve to be smacked down and dealt with severely. But because we're His son, we're His daughter, He forbears us. He's rich in long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God, He's rich in goodness, leadeth to repentance. Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. Oh, the depth, the extremity of the riches, the riches of His wisdom, the riches of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, His ways past finding out. You know, one reason Moses was able to endure hardship was because of what I'm preaching on this morning. He understood the wealth of, of the spiritual riches of God. He was spiritually wealthy. Now, at one time, he was financially wealthy. But when he lost that, he understood that his spiritual wealth was bigger. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24, By faith Moses, when he was come to years... Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing, notice this, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming, that's a value word. Valuing, placing a higher value over the reproach of Christ. Greater riches 
than the treasures in Egypt. Now here it is again. For he had respect, he esteemed the recompense of the reward. So here's a question. Why then do not we appropriate and enjoy the abundance of our spiritual blessings? Now, don't you listen carefully. I'm closing with this real quickly. Why don't we value these things? Well, here it is. And it's true for every person in here. Because the more we have, the greater challenge we have in growing spiritually and appreciating what we have in terms of spiritual wealth. Because it becomes our focus. Well, I got to get that promotion. I got to get the raise. I have to get whatever. And we just, we put our spiritual walk on autopilot. And we, we don't walk with God. Maybe we have devotions, but it's just kind of a something to check off. And we do not understand that, that this is of immense value. And it's all that's going to matter in eternity. In Matthew chapter 13, in verse 22, he shows what happens to us when we hear the word of God. He also that receives seed, which is a picture of the word of God, among the thorns, is he that heareth the word. And this is some of you this morning. But the care of this world, there it is, and that's the word. The philosophy without God. The care of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. And these are not spiritual riches. These are material blessings. By the way, he calls it deceitfulness because they promise something they can't deliver, and that's satisfaction. Listen, it's not wrong for, for you to have money, but it's wrong for money to have you. Because when you begin to think about it, and, and it controls you, and here's what happens. They choke the word. And you become unfruitful. But I'm going to illustrate this. You can hear the word of God and come to a Bible study. You can come hear a sermon and get in your car. And you'll forget about it by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, if not earlier. And it's not because you're not a good note taker. You can take the notes. But it's these other things, this worldliness, these riches, they choke it out. It's a lack of focus. In Mark, he, he says something similar, but he adds to it. Mark chapter 4, and verse 19, In the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Now look at this. And the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. The lust of other things, he adds that. The lust, I, I begin, my, my wanter. The word lust means a strong desire. Rather than wanting God and wanting His will and, and wanting to know Him and, and wanting to grow spiritually, we, we, want these, we want things. And then he adds another thing in the account in Luke. Luke chapter 8 and verse 14. And that which fell among thorns are they which they have heard. When they have heard, that is the word of God, they go forth, they're choked with cares and riches. And here it is, in pleasures of this life. Pleasures of this life. I just, I just want to have fun. I want pleasure. And it's not wrong to have fun. It's not wrong to have pleasure. But notice again, it's pleasures of this life. 
of this life. Because that's what the world teaches. Man, you grab all the gusto you can, says the beer commercial. And our kids are binding to it. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 and verse 23, And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly, how difficult shall they have, they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered them and said unto them, Children, how he repeats it, how hard, how difficult is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. I wonder how many people have grown up in our church and are going to hell. And they don't have money, but they love stuff. They love silver and they love abundance. And they've never known a day of contentment in their life. Because this flesh, all it needs is a spark of envy, a spark of discontentment. And then I lose my gratitude, I lose my joy. Look at this. Joseph Hall said there are three usual causes of ingratitude. Upon a benefit received. Envy, pride, and covetous. Let's pay attention to this. Envy, when I look more at others' benefits than our own. Even after I receive something, I'm not looking at what God gave me. I'm envious, still looking at others' benefits. Number two, pride, looking more at ourselves than at the benefit. And then covetousness, looking more at what we could have than in what we have. And when we have these three things in our life, we're not happy. We're, we're not. And, and, and sometimes you have to lose the benefit before you realize what you have. That's why some of the happiest people are people that are in poverty or they've lost their health because they realize that that wasn't that important anyhow. What was important was the spiritual side of things. First Corinthians chapter thirteen four charity suffers long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity envieth not. Now what does that mean? That means love doesn't envy. Here's what it means. It means that we need to love people and use things, not use not love things and use people. Charity is not envious. This is so dangerous. You know, I think sometimes we we live on the surface of things. We tell people, well, you need to love people. But at the root of it, it's not a lack of love. It's this lack lack of contentment or the presence of covetousness. So have you settled the issue of the goodness of God in your life? That God is good. God is not fair, but He's just, but He's always good. God is good. And I'm going to be content with what He does in my life, with my position. Doesn't mean I'm not to work hard. Doesn't mean I'm not to improve myself. I'm always working to improve myself. But there are things that are out of my control. And I must settle the fact that God is good. 
Psalm 119 and verse 68. Thou art good and doest good, said the psalmist. He settled it. Lord, everything you do, you are good and you do good. Jerry Bridges said this. I want you to think of this. I close with this quote. Jerry Bridges was commenting about the matter of discontentment. And he said, the very first temptation in the history of mankind was a temptation to be discontent. That is exactly what discontentment is, a questioning of the goodness of God. Remember what the devil said to Eve? Hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He not only questioned God's word, but he questioned his goodness. And maybe that's where you're at. You can't rejoice in the blessings of God because you equate all of the blessings of God with possessions. Not realizing that, man, God's been really good to me. He's forgiven me. He has cleansed me. He's given me a precious family. He's given me the ability, even though sometimes things are difficult, He sustained me through these things. If you measure wealth in terms of finances and possessions and status, you miss the best part of life every single time. And one way to measure true wealth is by your spiritual blessings. Maybe you're here and you're going through a difficult time and you're just losing some things. Maybe you lost your your job or you're having a hard time getting work or you're just having some health challenges. You know, one of the, the blessings for me with my own health challenges is, is to learn contentment. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, he said, he said, I've learned, I am learning contentment. And do you know what follows that? It's verse 13, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. That's what that verse means. If you're here, you've never been saved. You've never been redeemed. You've never been forgiven. You don't have a clear conscience. You don't have a clean record. You don't have the spiritual blessing of forgiveness before God. Uh, He can save you. He can change you. Ask Him to save you. Ask Him to forgive you. And don't just focus on what God has done. But focus on what He's doing. Don't just focus on what God has given you, but what He's giving you right now. And what is in you right now. Because your spiritual wealth is is ever-present. I want you to bow your heads with me. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder if you're here and 